Okay, thank you. So that last song that we sang is one that I can't help but believe touches every one of our hearts. It's this idea, yes, God, as he has revealed himself perfectly and completely in Jesus, he loves me. He doesn't love me because I deserve it. He doesn't love me because of anything that I do. He loves me. He loves you just because of who he is. He loves us, as we sang, just as we are. And that touches us deeply. That gives us hope. That, that gives us a sense of significance and security and satisfaction. But we need to know the other side. Because, because he loves us so much, he loves us as we are, but he cannot, he cannot leave us as we are. It, it would be like a doctor uh, having someone brought into the emergency room in dire need of help to survive and the doctor just tells them I love you but then doesn't do anything to help them survive so we have to understand that growth development this life is meant to be a developmental journey you'll hear me say that again and again God has given each of us the capacity if we choose to to trust him and once united with him to become who we were meant to become and do what we were meant to do to change to grow to literally be transformed there's a difference between conformity and transformation. Conformity is you put me under enough pressure, you give me enough threats, you give me enough incentive, and I'll do some things because I have to or they're advantageous to me. That isn't transformation. I'm going to say that again because there are people that fill churches that do things out of conformity, out of fear of God or hope of blessing from God. That, that's not transformation. Transformation is when I get a glimpse of truth that is so compelling, so beautiful, I see something in God, something in his truth, that everything in me just says, of course I want to do this. Of course I want to be like this. Listen, some of you have walked with Christ in here long enough that you can look back on your life and you can say, oh God, thank you, thank you, thank you. You did not leave me the mess that I was when you met me. In fact, I, I want to personalize that. I'm telling you, that's, that's my story. Anybody, you can identify with that. I am so grateful. I have a long way to go in this journey toward Christ-likeness. But I am so grateful. I am not that guy, not that guy that I once was. Authentic transformation. This series is about authentic transformation. It's something that God can do, wants to do, will do with each and every one of us, every human being that's willing to actually trust him and then let that trust kind of work its way out. And you hear me say this again and again. I, I believe in making things crystal clear, so crystal clear and so simple, it is impossible to miss them. What does trusting God mean? It means that when God tells me stop doing something in his word because I trust him, I stop it.
And when God tells me in his word, I want you to start learning to do something because I trust him, I start doing it. That is what it means to actually trust in Christ, to trust in God. If my trust is not moving me dynamically to change courses, change habits, change value systems, then my faith, according to James, is worthless. It's false faith. It's false trust. So we have this God-given capacity to change, and this series has been all about that. So questionable beginnings. We've looked at people that started out not so good, but then God ended up using them marvelously and even recording their stories in his word to the blessing of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, through the centuries. So we want to look at one today. Here we go. Today's title, From Persecutor to Protagonist. Now, I'm going to make an assumption here. If I were to ask you, do you know what a protagonist is? You would all put your game face on. But the truth be told, some of you aren't really sure. How many are just humble and honest enough to say, eh, I'm not exactly, okay, thank you, thank you. So for those that are not sure, here's a definition. What is a protagonist? A protagonist is the main character of the story. The protagonist makes key decisions that affect the plot, primarily influencing the story and propelling it forward and it's often the character who faces the most significant what? Optical. Main idea for us, the protagonist is the main character. Now, the protagonist of eternal history is God as he has chosen to reveal himself in Christ, in Jesus of Nazareth. It says that all the fullness of God dwelt bodily in Jesus. God can't show us any more about himself. He has made himself so clear in the humiliation that took place in Jesus that, that he's saying, I pulled out the stops. So Jesus... Christ is the ultimate protagonist. He's, he's the center of the story. Now, we know, though, by Scripture that he came, he lived, he died, he did miracles, he taught things that the humanity had never heard before. He loved in ways that the planet had never seen. But then he willingly laid down his life. He allowed himself to be brutalized and crucified. He died. He was buried. Then he rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven. And then you know, some of you know at least, that read the New Testament. How many read the New Testament? Can I see your hands? How many own a New Testament? <laughs> you should get one. It's a really good book. You should get that whole Bible, man. <laughs> but um, the New Testament teaches redundantly that now we who have put our trust in Christ, and because we trust him, we are his followers, now we are his body. It says that the church, the ecclesia, the called out assembly, those that have trust in Christ and follow him are his body. He gave up his body on the cross. Now he's working in and through each of us that are his followers. We're his bodies, which means he's the ultimate protagonist, but we're all kind of part, part of, we're, we're miniature protagonists. So his story is our story. We continue the story on. We continue his work on. But as you go through history, there came this time after Jesus died and rose again and ascended back into heaven where there was a gap. There was kind of a, kind of a leadership gap. Yeah, there, there, there was Peter. Peter was always first in the list of the apostles. And there was James, and then there was John. John seemed to have a really close intimacy with Jesus that nobody else had. But there was this gap. You see, Jesus, when he rose, he said in Matthew 28, he said, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to make disciples. 
of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I command you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. And that's what he told the 12, minus Judas, of course. They, they put this poor fellow Matthias in there who never belonged to be there. Anyway, um, he tells them this. We're going to come to a portion of Scripture that I'm going to read you in a minute. Seven to eight years have gone by. So Jesus told them, go into all the world. Get out there and get at it. Make disciples. Seven to eight years had gone by, and they're all just sitting in Jerusalem. They have not budged. Not Matthew, not Mark, not Luke, not John, not Peter. They haven't budged. Now, God looks down through the tunnel of time through for eternity, and, and he decides before anything existed that he sees this one human before this human ever came to be, and he says, that's, that's the one. That's the one that I can trust to take the greatest revelation that I'm ever going to give to angels or men about myself. I'm going to give it to this person. He is the one that I know I can trust to do this he will be my protagonist since the ultimate protagonist Jesus is back in heaven and he picks a guy who none of us would have picked he picks a guy who was the first physical enemy of Jesus and Jesus movement and Jesus people that the planet had ever seen he picks a guy who for maybe as long as seven or eight years sought to destroy as many of God's people as he could destroy the movement that Jesus had started but but that's that's who God picks and we're going to watch this man go from being a persecutor for seven or eight years of his life to becoming the greatest leader the greatest the greatest my word protagonist that the planet has ever seen God used him for 32 years and he wrote 13 books of the New Testament he's given the greatest revelation about God that has ever been given to a human and his name you know to be not Saul of Tarsus the persecutor but Paul the great apostle the, the greatest of the apostles so we're going to read his story now so let me pick up reading Here's Acts 26, background. Paul has been arrested. He was in Jerusalem. He was telling the people in Jerusalem that Jesus is the Messiah. They rioted. He was arrested. He was taken to Caesarea for two years. He was in prison there. He gives his testimony in Acts chapter 22. He gives it here again in Acts chapter 26. He's about to be shipped off to Rome. He stays imprisonment there for another two years. So here he is giving his testimony to this puppet king, King Agrippa he was a Jewish king but he was not in the Jewish lineage he was a puppet king a fake king nevertheless Paul shows great respect to him because he's been appointed by the Romans so now he's standing to give his defense to explain to King Agrippa why the Jews wanted to kill him why he was headed for Rome to stand before Caesar to be tried so here we go Paul's talking he says King Agrippa I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way that I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify if they are willing that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion living as a Pharisee. 
pause for a minute. Pharisees were indeed the strictest religion, uh, religious grouping of the Jews. And to give you a sense of what the Pharisees were like, one of the things that was typical for a Pharisee was they fasted twice a week. It's not like they run. It means like they don't eat, you know, a couple days a week or at least 12 hours at a time, something like that, twice a week in their devotion to God. They gave a tenth, a tithe of everything that they had, which was something God told the Israelites to do. They typically would have had if not all most of the entire old testament that they did have in their possession they would have it memorized anybody here have the old testament memorized <laughs> okay you you know that would be a momentous undertaking that's who these guys were that's how they, they were so strict about their religion they wore these little little leather pouches on their head strapped around their head and in it they would have a verse of scripture and i guess they wanted it to penetrate into their brain i don't know i was thinking about just tying a bible around my head seeing if it would work but i doubt that it would work some of them were called the bleeding pharisees they were called the bleeding Pharisees because they were so serious about not lusting after women that they would literally walk around with their heads down like this and they bumped into things and their heads were frequently bleeding. <laughs> Hence, they were called the bleeding Pharisees. But, but this is how serious and how fanatical they were. Paul's saying to these Jews, he's saying, you guys know me. You know how I grew up. You know, I'm at another point where he's telling a story, he says, I grew up under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the great rabbi, the great rabbinic teacher of that day and age. He says, you, you guys know who I am. You know how serious I was in my commitment to Judaism. Let me go on. I too, says Paul, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Goes on. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priest I put many many of the Lord's people where in prison and when they were put to what death I cast my vote against them now we can read that and just skip right over it unless it was your son or daughter or, or unless it was you that was suddenly arrested and taken to prison and executed do you know there's 13 countries right now uh, in our world that if you blaspheme or you forsake your allegiance to Allah you might be executed that's true in Iran that's true in Pakistan it's true in Somalia it's true in Sudan I mean I could go on to the list that there are places in the world where you can still lose your life you can still be arrested simply because of your allegiance to Christ we have a thing taking place in our world today and you need to keep your eye on this because it's creeping it's creeping our way it's making its way into our country it's going to make its way into all of our lives I'm afraid as followers of Christ this term hate speech it's happening in Europe it's happening even in Canada that if someone who is a Christ follower simply says what the Bible says and stands for what God says in his word it is being categorized as hate speech and you're treated like a terrorist and you may serve time in jail people are already being arrested in European countries as well as Canada for this it's coming our way so when we read this it says that many of the Lord's people were put in prison and some were put to death this has happened all through history there were 10 persecutions in the Roman world when when the apostle Paul was finally killed for his faith and Peter was killed with, for his faith. It was the first Roman persecution under Nero. There were 10 cycles that came after that for 300 years. Cycle after cycle after cycle. People were rounded up just because 
they were Christians. So Paul's telling his background. He's saying, I took these people who were just because they were Christians and I threw them into jail. I had them put in jail and some of them I was able to have killed. That's who I was. He was a persecutor. It goes on. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. What Paul meant there was he knew Jesus was God and he would try to get them to turn away from him, to blaspheme his name. I was so, look at that word, so what? Obsessed, so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus, oldest, oldest functioning city in the world, with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, that is Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the, what does it say? I know some of you are like me. You don't have a clue what a goat is. I'm going to come back to that later. It's actually very important. That was Jesus speaking. Keep that in mind. That was Jesus saying this to Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul the Apostle. It goes on. Then I ask, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Mind you, Saul was persecuting the people of God. Jesus said, you're persecuting me. When somebody touches you, if you're a Christ follower... They're touching the heart of God. Always remember that. I'm Jesus who you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people, that's the Jews, and from the Gentiles, that was anybody who was not a Jew, and I'm sending you to them. Paul's ministry was to take the gospel out of Jerusalem. Jesus said, go into all the world. They weren't going into all the world. They were sitting still in Jerusalem for seven or eight years. Paul took it to the world. It goes on. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, that's what happened to Paul. He was in darkness, religious darkness, but when he saw that Jesus is the fullness of God revealed, he had the lights turned on. He knew the truth about God, the truth about life. To open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What does it mean to be sanctified by faith? Distinguished, set apart by their trust in me. Christians are those that should be clearly seen, obvious to identify by our trust in Christ. It causes us to have a different value system, a different moral system, a different lifestyle, a different way of living out life. We ought to be distinguished. We ought to be easy to spot is what it's saying because of our trust in Christ. So, this is how he tells it. This is how he goes from being persecutor to the greatest of all protagonist, other than Jesus, the ultimate protagonist himself. So now, let's take some time and let's break down what, what's the makeup of a persecutor? What, what the heck goes wrong with somebody that they want to persecute somebody, particularly in a religious context? What, what goes on inside them? And you say, well, Randy, why, why would that be of any interest to us? None of us are persecutors. I'm not going to persecute anybody, for goodness sake. There is a type of Christian personality that I've come across through the years. I've been a Christian a long time now. And it's, it's kind of a combative Christian. They're, they're kind of aggressive. They're kind of argumentative. Um, 
They kind of are always eager to take issue with things. They, they like debate. Just curious, how many of you, you ever met one of these kind before? Can I just see your hands? Is it, is it beside you? <laughs> and so it could be that some of us happen to have that same vibe and maybe this part of the message will be beneficial for us to hear so that we can understand what might be making us a little bit of what I call cranky Christians okay so let's look at these pieces you're going to see they all flow from the first point okay the first point is the crucial mistake that we easily make it's not hard to make it it's easy to make as human beings so here we go the makeup first of all inaccurate views of God Paul who was Saul of Tarsus, had an inaccurate view of God. You say, Randy, how can this guy have an inaccurate view of God? You told us earlier he probably had the entire Old Testament memorized. How could he possibly have an inaccurate view of God? Well, here's how. Selective reading, studying, listening. You say, Randy, well, I'm not sure what you mean. Select. Selective means that you read Scripture or you listen to messages, but you just... You just listen to the parts that you like and you spit out the parts that you don't like that, that's the capacity that we have you see you have to understand why would Paul reject Jesus as the Christ as the Messiah the Jews have been waiting for 1500 years the prophecies described so much about the Messiah Paul knew all those prophecies why would he miss it how could he possibly miss it because he wanted to it was selective hearing he was like all the rest of the Pharisees the Pharisees were so sick of being pushed around by other nations they were nationalists they wanted a Messiah that was going to come and overthrow the Roman Empire that was going to stop the other nations from pushing the Jews around listen the Jews have been pushed around from their start they have been pushed around by the Egyptians they were in slavery there for nearly 400 years and they get their own land and before they know it they're pushed around by the Assyrians they take 10 of the tribes away forever then they're pushed around by the Babylonians they come and conquer them in 586 BC and after them come the Persians and they conquer them and they take over and push them around and after the Persians come the Greeks Alexander the Great they conquer them and push them around and after that come the Romans Caesar who was ruling in the day when Paul was there they were sick and tired of being pushed around therefore when they read their scriptures they read them selectively could we do that you suppose there could actually be somebody in this room or maybe more than one that reads listens to the scriptures selectively that, that when it talks about parts of our life that God in his love says I don't want you to do that that's not how I designed you that, that's sin that's going to destroy you that's going to hurt you and hurt others please don't do that we say new channel we're not listening to that my Jesus is not that way my Jesus loves me as I am and I can do anything I want and he yes Jesus loves me the Bible tells me so but it doesn't you see he loves us but we can completely stymie his love we can stop it from having the impact on us that he wants it to have if we simply reject his will 
which is laid out in his word. We're all capable of selective hearing. I'm gonna be honest with you. Objective hearing is really hard. To be objective takes work. I have to keep turning myself inside out before God again and say, God, please search me. Show me if I'm kind of embracing something in an imbalanced fashion. I just want your truth. I don't care if it takes me in a completely different direction. We have to be willing to approach it that way. Paul, like all the Jews of his day, they didn't want a Messiah that was headed for a cross. That was called a stumbling block, he says in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, a stumbling block, a crucified Messiah? No way. We want a Messiah that's going to overthrow the nations of the world. Now, the Scripture does, does teach that ultimately Jesus will rule and reign forever. They fastened onto that selective hearing. They didn't listen to the other part. Therefore, inaccurate views of God when God himself you've got to get this these individuals that had the Old Testament memorized for the most part when God himself Jesus is God God the Son the eternal Son he's the creator of the universe when God showed up in human form they hated him they argued with him they ultimately saw to it that he was nailed to a cross selective hearing might the Spirit of God be it trying to stir some of us to say you got to stop picking and choosing because when you're picking and choosing you don't really trust God okay let's go on so inaccurate views first Timothy 13 Paul's talking later on this is uh, 30 years forward in his life they're serving Jesus he's got two more before he'll be martyred himself he says to Timothy despite the fact that at one time I was slandering the things of God persecuting and attacking his people he was still merciful to me because I acted in ignorance apart from trust he didn't trust God he didn't want the kind of Messiah Jesus was but he says, I, I was a fool. I had concocted this image. I was acting in ignorance, and so God had mercy. From inaccurate views of God inevitably arises what I, what I call achievement and appeasement-based religion or religiosity. If I'm, if I'm not viewing God as he really is, inevitably as a human being, I'm afraid of him. I don't trust him, so I want to try to figure out what do I have to do what do I have to achieve? What good work or set of good works do I have to do to get your approval, to appease you, to get you on my side, to get you to bless me, get you off my back? I don't want you to curse me. You're more powerful than me. What do I have to do? Do I have to say some prayers? Do I have to join a church? Do I have to give some money? What do I have, do I have to take a crusade? What, what do I have to do? Do I light some candles? What, what do I have to do? What do I have to achieve? What good works to appease you, God? Because when I can appease God, I'm in control still. I'm now able to use God, get him working for me instead of me trusting him. So achievement and appeasement-based religion flows from inaccurate views of God. Let me go to that verse. Galatians 1, here's Paul again talking about his own experience. He says, you also heard how I was far ahead of other Jews. Notice how he's measuring. He's competing with other Jews, trying to please God, trying to merit favor with God. That's when inaccurate views will do. Achievement and appeasement-based religion will develop. You also heard how I was far ahead of the Jews in my age group in following the Jewish religion. I had become that fanatical for the traditions of my ancestors. He's trying to work work his way into a place where God owes him instead of him owing God let's go on from that flows this inner instability when you have inaccurate views of God and you create your own achievement appeasement based religion inevitably you're going to have this inner instability because inaccurate views of God and achievement and appeasement based religion will not will not heal 
the distrust that lies in the soul of every human being we, we have a core distrust for God we're, we're not really sure he understands us we're not really sure that our happiness means as much to him as it does to us we distrust him it started in the garden of Eden we not only distrust him we're afraid of him he has all power he can stop my heart he can stop my brain anytime he wants I'm finite he's infinite so I'm a little bit of afraid of God all the time. It's hard to get close and warm and fuzzy with somebody that has all power and can stop your heart anytime they want. Not only am I afraid of God, on top of all that, I distrust him, I'm afraid of him, I, I'm, I'm guilty. I know I've broken his laws. I know I haven't lived up to his design. And it makes me feel guilty. I'm uncomfortable. I can't even help it. It bothers me. I try to drive it out of my head, but it's still there. And the guilt then leads me to feel ashamed. Remember Adam and Eve when they faced God after they broke his, broke his law in the garden? They're trying to cover up with fig leaves. We're all running around with fig leaves on. We're trying to cover up our shame. If we have inaccurate views of God and achievement and appeasement-based religion, inevitably we have inner instability. We're, we're troubled inside. We don't have peace we can't love because we're so trying to work out our own problems. There's no space. There's no capacity. Love requires space to give. We, we have inside dis-ease. We are diseased. We are unstable. Man, humanity cannot have stability unless we have an accurate image of God, unless we have the right sort of approach to God, which you'll see in a minute so inner instability go ahead at the next verse here acts 26 i'm taking you back to acts paul again because there's one phrase i want to bring up and when we had all fallen to the ground i heard a voice saying to me in the hebrew language saul saul why are you persecuting me it's hard for you to kick against and there's that dumb word again what is it it feels creepy even saying it doesn't it it's like what what's the goad okay i'll tell you now a goad was kind of like a spear it's kind of like a pole you know that you when your ox was plowing and you couldn't get the ox to go when you wanted it to go or the direction you wanted to go you gave it a little poke it was a little sharp end so you you poked it now kicking against the ghost when you when you poked your ox every once in a while the ox would just kick okay now when the ox kicks at the at the spear who gets hurt the spear or the or the leg or the ox it's not a trick question yeah, the spear's dead. It has no feelings. It's dead wood. <laughs> Your leg is... So, so this is Jesus saying to Paul on the road to Damascus, he's saying, it's hard for you, isn't it, buddy? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. What was he saying? What is he getting at? He's taking Paul back through the journey. It all starts in Acts chapter 7. You guys got to read it on your own. They're, getting, they're stoning Stephen for hate speech. They're killing the first Christian martyr for hate speech. What was his hate speech? Telling people the truth from God's word. And who's standing there holding their garments while they're stoning him? It's Paul. And Jesus is saying, in essence, it bugged you, didn't it, buddy? You saw he was a righteous man. You saw he was a good man. You've, you've been struggling, Paul, all along. You knew my, about my ministry. You knew I healed the sick and raised the dead and walked on water. You knew I was kind and compassionate and merciful. You knew that when your religious leaders, I stood there and challenged them, show me any sin in my life. None of you guys could charge me with sin. Said Paul is, Jesus is saying to Paul, he's saying, you've been struggling with me for a long time, buddy. You know it and I know it. 
Paul, you know what, I, what Isaiah 53 says. You know, you knew, you've been struggling with it. You knew that that was pointing to me. I'm the suffering servant. You knew what Psalm 22 said. You knew what Psalm 69 said. You knew what it was talking about. They pierced my hands, and you heard about my crucifixion and my resurrection. You knew. But you were so determined to prove yourself right, you thought if you could stamp out my movement, it would make you right, and you had worked your whole life long to develop your reputation, and you were going to let your reputation go without a fight, and so you sought to destroy me, and buddy, it's just been hurting you more and more, hasn't it? And now you know the truth. When I said earlier, God looked down through time to pick one person to be the greatest protagonist for the ultimate protagonist which is Jesus he picks this guy he picks a guy with blood on his hands a radical a murderer because who better to prove that Jesus actually rose again what better proof than you take a guy like this only that confrontation with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus it is the only way you can explain this man's life he gives the next 32 years of his life suffers tremendously he gives the next 32 years of his life to serving Jesus because he knew the truth he saw him he knew and he becomes the greatest protagonist to this day for the ultimate protagonist who is Jesus and it all started on that Damascus road. Why is it so hard for you to kick against the goats? Let's go on to the next one. He had obsessive drive. You see, when you start out with inaccurate views of God and achievement of peace and based religion and inner instability, inevitably it ends up in obsessive drive. What do you mean obsessive drive, Randy? Well, we try to distract ourselves from ourselves. We, we, we know that we're not at peace inside, and so we don't like that feeling, and so we try to do something at least to avoid the feeling. Now, there's a lot of ways you can get rid of the disease, the uncomfortable feelings inside. You can just, you just go on a spending spree, and it'll make you feel better for a while until the bills come in. You can... <laughs> You can drink and get good and dog leg drunk and you'll feel good for a while, but that'll catch up with you too. You can do a bunch of drugs and likewise, as long as you can keep your drugs coming in, you'll feel okay. I mean, there's all kinds of obsessive things we can do. We try to find something, something, some crusade, some activity, keep things flowing into our ears, listening to music or whatever, just something to distract ourselves from ourselves, because our self is an uncomfortable person and place to live with. It's a really uncomfortable thing to be uncomfortable with yourself because we drag ourselves everywhere we go. You can change locations. You can change jobs. You can change spouses. You can change houses. You can change furniture. You can change cars. But you're taking yourself into all those situations. And until I am willing, you are willing, we are willing to let God who loves us and because he loves us change us in fact this is a good place to stop how many of you know you really know you need to change I'm, I'm going to be the first to confess I need to change anybody with me we, if you really believe you need to change will you say it out loud with me I need to change thank you and a loving God, because he loves us, he just waits. He just waits for that open door, that willingness on our part. 
And he doesn't just change us. He, he literally transforms us. So Paul was obsessively driven. driven. He was fanatically driven because he was so restless inside. He, he, he bolted from inner instability to anger and we usually do that when we're uncomfortable inside it's a very weak feeling emotionally speaking so anger feels at least like we're more in control and we bolt to fanatical anger or fanatical throwing ourselves into something as did Paul obsessive drive he was a driven man share a verse with you quickly back to Acts again it says that is what I did in Jerusalem I received authority from the chief priests and put many of God's people into prison and when they were sentenced to death I also voted against them he was he was fanatically driven all right but it didn't stop there he went from persecutor to the greatest protagonist so let's look at the other side of the coin how does that happen how does actual transformation happen you got to get this there's a big difference between exterior conformity and interior transformation interior transformation has to start with my spirit my spirit and God's spirit doing this what do you mean spirit doing this with him it means that I see his will I see his ways I see the way he thinks I see the way he feels I see what his plans and his purposes are and it utterly wins me over my spirit and his spirit find complete unity that's the start of transformation it starts with what I call what scripture calls faith trust in God and it just deepens as time goes on so let's look at the makeup of a protagonist it's just the opposite first it has accurate views of God we see God as he really is in Christ if I can just go to the verse quickly 1 John 4 10 this is real love not that we love God he knows he knows we don't but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins sins present tense are our dilemma our enemy what's spoiling our life Jesus wants to win our trust so that we allow him to take them away in other words cause you and I to say no to sin yes to God's will and word but his love is real his love is different it's caused by what's in him not caused in us accurate views of God then bring an accurate approach to God look at the next one instead of a achievement appeasement based religion religion it's a grace and trust based what's the difference what's the different word relationship God does not want religious people religious people are trying to con God religious people are trying to appease God religious people are trying to control God he wants a relationship the only appropriate relationship of a finite creature with an infinite creature is trust he's all knowing he's all powerful he controls all things and he loves us more than we love ourselves. he knows what's best wants what's best the only appropriate approach for us as finite imperfect fallen beings is to trust him that's all he wants and then when we trust him we can experience his love we go oh yeah it does work when I do it your way instead of my idiotic way all these years grace and trust based relationship Ephesians 2 8 for you have been delivered by grace that's God is just intrinsically good willed and always moving toward us he loves us because of what's in him not because of anything in us he delivered us by grace through trusting it becomes effective when we trust or have faith in Christ and even this is not an accomplishment uh, not your own accomplishment but God's gift let's go on 
that then produces inner stability as opposed inner stability what are you talking about well now now instead of distrusting God I trust him now instead of being afraid of God I run toward him not away from him now when I see his promises of forgiveness I can believe them because I can believe that he's for me because I'm for him and now instead of shame I really can believe that God is able to throw my shame throw my guilt into the depths of the sea and he really will treat me just as if it never happened as if I never sinned I I can believe these things I can accept these things they start to bring harmony they start to bring peace they start to bring hope they give me an expanded capacity I'm not so pulled into my own pain and struggles I have capacity and space to give to you and to serve you and to help you and to love you that all starts happening inner stability and then from there oh actually let me go a verse Romans 8 1 there is no condemnation once I know I'm, I'm free in God's sight no condemnation for those who live this is important live in union with Christ Jesus God's spirit joins himself to our spirits declaring that we are God's children and that brings us to the next portion objective drive not obsessive drive objective drive objective drive is this I know that God loves everybody and he's for everybody and people must hear this good news and so it's rational for me to invest myself in human beings because human beings are the stuff of eternity everything else is going to just go away and so I'm driven I'm motivated I'm energized it's steady it's consistent no circumstance can stop it but it's not obsessive it's not on the borderline of being irrational or insane even here we have a verse that kind of explains it 2 Corinthians 5 14 it is Christ's love that fuels our passion energizes us motivates us moves us keeps us moving serving and holds us tightly because we're convinced that he has given his life for all of us this means all died with him so we just see a complete reversal and that's what brings real transformation it all starts with an accurate view of God if we don't have an accurate view of God none of the rest none of the rest sinks up I want to close with a story by uh a rather well-known Harvard psychiatrist child psychiatrist his name is Dr. Robert Coles he's actually 91 years old now and he tells a kind of a humorous story about a fellow psychiatrist that comes into his office and he plop flops himself down he's rather frustrated and he says I've had this patient for 15 years he said this guy this guy is mean he is self-absorbed and he's angry he's just an angry human being all the time he says I've had him for 15 years he is completely unchanged the only difference in him now is after my treatment of 15 years now he knows why he's mean and why he's self-centered and why he's angry but it hasn't changed him at all Robert Coles whose picture uh, we have right there uh, here's his retort here's his response to this Coles asks could we conclude that what this man needed wasn't just information but what's our big word transformation Transformation. this whole series has been about God's desire to transform us but it but is says Cole but is transformation possible for human beings and the answer is yes if transformation is possible if we reconnect authentically reconnect with Christ our creator in trust and become his followers because it's a dynamic 
life-transforming relationship. It gets better and deeper and better and deeper and better and deeper as time goes on. Left to ourself or with an inaccurate view of God, the answer to Cole's question is no. We'll have heads full of information, but not much transformation. So, we're all going to leave here soon. We're all going to leave either as those whose hearts and minds are actually open to God's transforming involvement with us. It takes place through His Word primarily. Or, we'll leave here today pretty much just as we came. <laughs> Which hopefully that'll give us another day of grace to change our minds if need be. But God's hope, His Spirit's hope, my hope, I can assure you, is that we'll open ourselves to Christ in a different way, to God's Word in a different way, that, that this transforming work will have our full cooperation, that we will be saying yes to God in every area of our life where His Word speaks specifically, because that's how transformation takes place, that we will not be selective hearers of God's Word, but we will be those that completely trust Christ, and whatever He says to stop, we will start stopping. And whatever he says to start and to learn, we will start doing it and start learning it. But it's got to start. It's got to start today. Or else it's just being like, oh, that was an interesting message. I agree with this part. I didn't like that part. <laughs> right? That's fun, too. I mean, you got to have some amusement. Pick, pick the speaker apart. That's okay. I would do it, too. <laughs> I do it. Matter of fact, after every message, I pick myself apart. So... But my hope, my hope is that you'll just join with me in this very, very serious journey to transformation. I want to see that Christ-like version of me. I, I've gotten some glimpses. It's not nearly as far as I've wanted to go. But I've gotten some glimpses. I want you to have those glimpses too. I want you to know what it is to have him change your thoughts, your feelings, your responses. I want you to know what it is to be able to live with yourself a little bit more because yourself is looking a little bit more like Christ, your creator. You can have that. We can all have that. God wants that. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Spirit of God, please, please help us to throw aside the obstacles, to throw aside our pride, to throw aside our stubbornness, to throw aside that habit that we feel like we cannot ever break up or leave or let go of. Spirit of God, do your wonderful, beautiful, disruptive work in our hearts and our lives for the sake of your goodness and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask these things. Amen. <laughs>